Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts throw caution to the wind and sit down with Professor Mike and discuss the rite of exorcism. You know, the movie The Exorcist came out in 1973 when actress Linda Blair was only 14. Well, she's 62 now, but she's still turning heads. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick podcast with uh, Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. And I'm Mark. And joining us uh, in the podcast lounge tonight is friend of the show, Professor Mike. Ta-da. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ray. Professor Mike. <laughs> know that tonight. Exorcism wheel. Oh, I remember that. Oh, no. Uh, well, we're kind of going from the frying pan into the, the fire tonight, so uh, possibly. Yeah. You know what we need, and, Ray? We, what do we, we need? need to set the mood with some scary music to get... Mike on edge. Oh. When Mr. Satan knocks at my heart's door and says, may I come in? I say, no, no, for Jesus loves me so and took away my sin. So he turns around and runs away. I wish he'd go Knocks at my heart's door. I just say no, 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 no. Ooh. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sufficiently terrified here. Yeah. You remember, guys, I, I live with my dog. I'll have to go home and look under the bed. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I might not see the devil. We're talking about exorcisms tonight. Just general observations, you know, how we got here. Um, I always thought of exorcism as something that was just an ancient ritual, you know, back from the days when mental illness wasn't really understood and it was always mistaken as a demonic possession. And my presumption was that movies like The Exorcist just came up with a story where they would break out this ancient ritual that wasn't really relevant in current day just to make a good story. But I happened to be screening YouTube, and I ran into a number of interviews with Catholic priests that had actually been appointed as exorcists. And I started wondering whether exorcists are more or less credible than others. I mean, they're, they're human, and they already believe in the religious supernatural. So that, does that make them more apt to personify evil and buy into a ritual like exorcism? Or are they really more credible as they're specifically appointed as exorcists by a bishop and they're trained by the Catholic Church. So they're really, they're endorsed by a government-like bureaucracy. As it turns out, the ministry of exorcism is uh, very much in the present. Um, There's an exorcism webpage that was created by the Council of Catholic Bishops. They have a list of frequently asked questions that was developed by the Secretariat of Divine Worship. Sounds like a federal government office, doesn't it? The Secretariat of Divine (laughs) Worship. Um, Yeah, I'm working at the SDW. Oh, geez, I hate that. Anyways, answers were provided by specialists in the ministry and experts in canon law. And given the concept that exorcism is so impacted by movies and television programs, the Committee on Divine Worship has approved dissemination of these basic questions and answers 
in hopes that a clear information is presented on the topic that's often shrouded in mystery or misinformation. So we thought what we would do is just start out by going through the frequently asked questions that are on the webpage and just hearing what the Council of Catholic Bishops has to say. And the first one would be covered by Ray. That would be. <laughs> My gosh, I, I'm just not doing. I'm not, not doing good tonight. Must oh, I think I think you're doing fine. We, we'll we'll just edit this all out. Just leave all my parts in. Okay, sure. Because this is the only way I get dates in your podcast. <laughs> really? Can we talk about Captain <laughs> Howdy? <laughs> well, you may be asking yourself, what is an exorcism? And, and it is a specific form of prayer that the church uses against the power of the devil. That's an answer? That's, that's an answer. Mm-hmm. This is this is, has kind of a flavor of the Baltimore Catechism. This is your answer right there, Mark, to that question. <laughs> it's right on. It's right on the website. I guess we're done now. So let's close up. Yeah, it's out yeah. of the Baltimore Catechism. You can. Is there a scriptural basis for this? You might ask, and the answer is, well, the basis for exorcism is grounded in the ministry of Jesus. There is no scriptural basis for a formal rite of exorcism. And are there different kinds of exorcisms? As it turns out, there are two, simple or minor exorcism, and that can be done by a priest or a member of the lay faithful. And then they have solemn or major exorcism, which is a rite that can only be performed by a bishop or by a priest specifically designated by the bishop as an exorcist. Um, This form, the more formal one, is directed at the expulsion of demons or to the liberation of a person from demonic possession. While both forms of exorcisms are directed against the power of the devil, uh, the rite of major exorcism, according to the Council of Catholic Bishops, is employed only when there's a case of genuine demonic possession, namely when it's determined that the presence of the devil is in the body of the possessed, and the devil is able to exercise dominion over that body. Minor exorcisms are prayers used to break the influence of evil and sin in a person's life. So, church writings caution that the lay faithful are not to recite any prayers reserved to the exorcist. Uh, Not because the prayers are reserved to those ordained to act in the person of Christ, the head, or as I say, in persona Christi Capitus but also to protect the faithful from possible spiritual harm. Oh, damn, man. I, I love it when you talk, <laughs> you talk dirty. <laughs> um, in terms of protocols, there we go, and so it is. It's uh, advisable that every diocese establish a protocol to respond to inquiries made by the faithful who claim to be demonically afflicted. As part mm. of the protocol, mm. an assessment should occur to determine the true state of the person. Only after a thorough examination, including medical, psychological, and psychiatric testing, might the person be referred to the exorcist for a final determination regarding demonic possession. To be clear, the actual determination of whether a member of the faithful is genuinely possessed by the devil is made by the church, even if individuals claim to be possessed through their own self-diagnosis. Can I just say, one of the takeaways from that last segment is there's no practicing exorcism without a license. Uh, <laughs> apparently, you can't be a freelance on I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, uh, well, I guess I'm not shocked, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll, don't, I won't uh, I'm not shocked. I am give shocked. away my thunder. So, uh, who can receive a major exorcism? Since the rites of exorcism are categorized as sacramentals, 
under canon law, their canon, the following uh, are able to receive this specialized blessing if it is determined necessary. Catholics, catechumens, non-Catholic Christians who request it, and non-Christian believers provided they have the proper disposition, meaning that they're, they're sincere in their desire to be free of demonic influence. In cases involving a non-Catholic, the matter should be brought to the attention of the diocesan bishop. So if you're Muslim and you think you're possessed by the devil, you got to outsource <laughs> and submit a work right. order to the Catholic Church. No, well, well good. I'll, I'll let you guys finish up. I don't want to... <laughs> But it's like Islam. Islam has its, you know, exorcism is is, is practiced there. It's just a different, formulated yeah. differently. But it's really in all religions. Yeah, is, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So, how frequently are major exorcisms performed? Through the centuries, the church has moved cautiously when evaluating alleged cases of demonic possession. The reason for this is not to deny access to members of the faithful who are genuinely in need. However, the church is equally concerned that individuals not get caught up in sensationalist mentality and thus create a kind of sideshow affair. Although rare, genuine cases of demonic possession should be addressed in a balanced manner and with the utmost care being extended to the afflicted person. And how do you become an exorcist? A priest may be appointed to the office of exorcist, either on a stable basis or for particular occasion, by the diocesan bishop. In either case, the exorcist should work closely with and under the direction of the bishop. Classically, the exorcist is trained for this specialized ministry through an apprenticeship model, working under the direction of an experienced exorcist. Additionally, in recent years, several programs have been established to foster training exorcists. So, a couple other points. How does an exorcist determine with moral certitude that the one to be exorcised is truly possessed by demonic forces and not merely suffering from physical ailments or psychological issues? And the answer is, according to the Council of Catholic Bishops, moral certainty falls between the two poles of absolute certainty and probability. Uh, moral certitude is achieved through the examination of proofs, which are weighed in accordance with the conscience of the one passing judgment. Throughout his ministry, an exorcist must establish a balance within his own mind between not believing too easily that the devil is responsible for what is manifesting and also attributing all possible manifestations solely to a natural organic source. As part of the evaluation process, uh, the afflicted member should uh, avail himself or herself through a medical and psychological and psychiatric evaluation. Now go ahead. Ray's got the last question here. This part really is amazing because it's almost point for point the uh, the diagnostic criteria for uh, uh, for temporal lobe seizure. Anyway, uh, which which they, they talk about in the movie. Yes, they do. Uh, That's right. It's like the first thing they bring up. So, what are the criteria uh, for evaluating reports of demonic possession? And the church has recognized four criteria: the ability to speak languages oh, otherwise yeah. unknown to the individual, right. uh, having strength beyond normal capacity <clears throat> of the individual. Elevated perception, the person has knowledge of things they shouldn't otherwise know, and an aversion to anything of a sacred nature, holy water, being shown a Bible, being in a sacred place, or being shown a crucifix. Now, at this point, Mike is probably saying, why did you invite me to be your guest? I'm really shocked, you know, like I'm internally hemorrhaging here. I just have to, I have to say something, that if you were to ask 
I mean, there's a dis- difference between when you say the church, uh, the church, the church is many things. Is the management sector, uh, <laughs> which is what's producing this. There, there are the theologians, and then there's you know churches w- where you go if you're a Catholic on Sundays at, at 10 a.m. You know um, that's church. It's actually scripturally. That's what church is, ecclesia, the Greek word means the assembled believers. But this is this this tripe, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean it's that's right out of the management sector. They, they you have to have an answer to questions and it forces the church, the management sector, to arrive at internally consistent positions that if you went to a major Catholic uh, university, you you would not find in a graduate department of theology, or you would not find a Catholic theologian who would feel any differently than what I'm saying now. I mean, they have to produce these things much in the same way when they said um, <clears throat> you can't get divorced. Why? Well, divorce is well. All of a sudden, everybody's getting divorced. So let's see. Uh, we can't say divorce is okay. So we will have this theological construction called annulment. Yeah, that keeps us internally consistent, intellectually consistent, and yeah. It, it, so it becomes this um, this um, dance, you know. And you know, exorcism is it's simply, you know, I don't care what these guys say. The Catholic bishops; these are the same people that want to deny Joe Biden communion. You know, when when that is about is not non-scriptural, anti-scriptural, a thing as you could possibly find to go to someone who's quote-unquote a sinner and deny them communion. Being a sinner is practically an admission ticket to communion. It's theologically nonsense. It's nonsense in the eyes of the Catholic Church, unless you're talking about the management sector. Nobody believes this stuff anymore. No, and as you mentioned, like annulments, uh, one of the kind of common thread through all these is exclusivity. This is the only place you can get this. Yeah. You know, if you're possessed by a demon, this is the only place you can get that fixed. Right. If you're, you're in a marriage you want to get out of, you can only get that fixed through us. But they're forced into that corner by an uneducated laity who would say, I think my daughter is possessed. The, See, they're not going to say, well, there's no such thing. as it. They can't say that because they're on record as having said there is a devil. Look, if you go to a Catholic church, you will not hear discussion of this. If you go to a Catholic priest and you ask him about being exercised, he would refer you to a therapist. I mean, that's the world we currently live in. For the Enlightenment, there was this need to personify realities that we couldn't discuss in another way. Tillich, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, was led to say that we should declare a hundred year moratorium <clears throat> on the use of the word God until the air clears and he just decided to call God the transcendent mystery and stopped personifying it but in this duality if there's good there must be evil and so there was a <clears throat> a devil and there's no scriptural basis you know for that other than the personified you know one but it's because it was written you know, um, 1,700 years before uh, the Enlightenment. So that's not to say that it's nonsense. It worked for those people. It's the way they thought about it. It doesn't work for us. Uh, I, I don't consider us to be more sophisticated. It's just that we can't 
turn the dial back. We are, we live in a post-existential world, and you start talking about Satan and demon possession. I mean, people rightly stop listening. I can tell that Mike is nearing the area of being undecided in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I get real frustrated. <laughs> the, the Catholic Church, the church, I'll say one last thing and I'll shut up. It's, it's a cultural institution, but now the church is in this right wing swing just like our cultural institutions seem to be political national whatever and and now you get this where there's more exorcisms now and it it's just um i don't know i find it very frustrating what i noticed as i was going through the authority of youtube um, one of the most vocal catholic exorcists out there is a guy by the name of father vincent lampert and so uh what, what I've done or what we've done is to just kind of further the discussion. You know, we've got a series of sound clips from Father Lampert, different speeches he's given and interviews he's given. They would just introduce uh, the topic. Now, Father Lampert uh, is the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He was appointed as an exorcist by the bishop in 2005 when there was only when there were only 12 exorcists in the United States, now there are 125. Mm -hmm. So ten, tenfold in, uh, what, 15, 16 years. Now he's one of the senior exorcists in the United States. He also believes that there's too much misunderstanding about exorcisms, thanks to Hollywood. So he's been outspoken on the topic, trying to get information out there. He's recently published a book, which is not available at a bookseller near you, entitled Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. Throughout the podcast, we'll play audio clips from Father Lampert, who will discuss topics that will lead our discussion. Hmm. You know, um, I, 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 I want to make sure that I'm not understood as uh, characterizing um, the world from which these these uh, uh, formulations and thoughts as less sophisticated than ours. I, I, I don't believe that that's true. It just reflected the world that they inhabited, trying to deal with the same things we're struggling to deal with, only wrapping them in cultural formulations that made sense to them. And, and it doesn't work for us. We have other ways. We're supposed to be hysterical. This isn't funny. You put me in a bad mood. All right, Karis, your car keys are in here. <laughs> Come get them. Come get them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, Uncle you Ray. You all to my father. <laughs> I'm Catholic. <laughs> Let's see what Father Lampert has to say about the personification of evil. Oh, this is just going to get us wound up more. So I know. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun. All right. Ray, Ray, and, I, Ray and I are going to we're gonna, we're gonna get drunk. We're going <laughs> to let you take over. This is going to be like a five-part episode. All right, here we go. It is true that many people today might laugh at the reality of a personified evil. Some people would say that if evil really exists, it's nothing more than humanity's inhumane treatment of one another. In other words, evil is something of our own making. People who reject the reality of evil believe that perhaps it's a throwback to the time of Christ, it's a throwback to the Middle Ages, or a time when mental health issues were not well understood. But the church has consistently taught throughout her history that evil is personified in someone that we call the devil. 
Pope Paul, back in 1972, clearly reiterated this fact in a series of general audiences that he gave, gave in the summer of 1972. The devil's purpose is to try to destroy religion and in doing so, dismantle civilization. One of my favorite definitions of the church is that the, tree, the church is the guardian to the tree of life because it is the vehicle that Christ gave us to allow us to once again enter into the presence of God the Father. You could say that the church lays out for us the path that all of us are called to walk that will lead us to eternal life. The devil believes that if he can destroy the church, then humanity will be trapped permanently in sin, as are the devil and the other fallen angels. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know where they're getting the devil, the fallen angels. That's, that's not in the Bible. It's, it's, it's just, you know, traditional belief, but it's, it's not based on anything. The, the, quote, church, as he speaks of it, kind of a reaction to the when the church was leftist the second vatican council it was it's political mm -hmm. political realities and they're still reacting to that you know paul started it but john paul ii really ratcheted it up um and now you have the, the bishops quote the bishops you know the bishops are now appointees of the conservative church so what you're getting now is a political swing that's theologically vacuous and if this works for people, that's fine. But I can say that it goes against everything that I studied um, in um, studying theology. It's 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 just you know completely empty of um, scriptural prominence. People will never warm up to the idea of a devil with a tail and horns looking to destroy the church. So what's, what do you mean by the church? I want to stop him. Every other sentence, wait a minute, you use that word. What do you mean by religion? What is religion uh, to him? And what is the church? And what is, what is uh, uh, destroy the church? What do you mean destroy the church? It's, a, it's, a, it's an outgrowth of, of, of a culture's answer to the primordial questions. What is there to destroy? You mean the institutional church? Why would God allow a, a being like that to exist that's just out there just to destroy the church? Oh, man, I'm really feeling mean. Yeah, it just, <laughs> what, no, a, what a jackass, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, philosophically, it makes no sense. It doesn't. It's Judeo-Christian tradition, right. and it works, and it makes sense, and we have to formulate it some way, just like you have to formulate God some way. You can't just have this abstraction. So we we personify God. We say God is all good, all powerful, all, you know, uh, we have to formulate it some way, and we have to formulate evil some way. Right. And what is evil, though? What is evil? What is evil? Um, I mean, if there weren't humans, would there, be, would there be evil? According to this, God would have had to have created Satan. That's what it says in Isaiah 45. Yeah. Seven, I think, 45. Because where did Satan come from? Where did the, the demons come from? God would have had to have created all that. One thing I thought was interesting about that uh, quote from Father Lampert is there's a, um, a scene from The Exorcist. I'm not sure it's in all cuts, but it's great dialogue between uh, Father uh, Damien Karras and Father Marin. Uh, but Karras says, why her? Why that girl? And Marin says, I think the point is to make us despair, 
to see ourselves as animal and ugly, to make us reject the possibility that God mm-hmm. could love us. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it's kind of interesting that whoever's writing that, there's some consistency with how the church mm-hmm. or how uh, the, the world of exorcism views the role of the church and where the devil gets power from, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah. Interesting. We, if you like Father Lampert, we've got a bunch more clips here. <laughs> Let me just say one other thing. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Job, um, Satan is mentioned, but it's not, again, it's not a personified evil. Satan is like the, the adversary, uh, the, like a lawyer, the one who would point out the other side. So when God says, how about my servant Job down there, isn't he? He's a cool dude, and and the the Satan says, "Yeah, but you you gave him all this stuff, you know. Take away his stuff and see how cool he is with you." Then, well, all right, go ahead and do it. But it was Satan as in the adversary, not as Satan as in a in right. A being. He's actually working with God in that. Yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just pointing out the other side. Yeah, he works for the corporation. God corporation. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take any offense at your simile between Satan and lawyers. <laughs> it works for the firm. <laughs> the firm. <laughs> so when do I get to work in my joke about if the, if Satan has a red cape and a pitchfork? Where does he buy his cape from? Demon Marcus. Oh. <laughs> we we're running behind on clips. Let's That's let's right. go to the next one. The appointment of exorcists. The word exorcism comes from the Greek word exorcismos and is that insistent request manifested before God or directed against demons. Literally, it means to bind with an oath. At its very core, exorcism is a prayer. It is a prayer that brings healing and peace to those affected and afflicted by the evil one, allowing that person to be reconciled to God. It is a ministry of compassion. It is a ministry of charity. It is a ministry that must be done well because it's not a game and it's not a hobby. When God is being requested to expel a demon, we call that a supplicating or minor exorcism. Prayers for deliverance would fall under this category. When the devil or some evil spirit is being addressed, we call that a major or an imperative exorcism. Catholic belief holds that anyone may say a minor or supplicating prayer of exorcism because after all it is a prayer directed to god and we know that anyone can pray however an imperative exorcism as an official right of the catholic church is reserved to the priest who has been authorized to do this ministry by his local bishop every bishop is an exorcist by virtue of his episcopal ordination and at his discretion a bishop may bestow this charism on one or more of his priests. He may appoint any priest to perform an exorcism on an individual basis, or he may appoint a priest on a stable basis to perform this ministry. So I, as mentioned in the introduction, I was appointed to be the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis back in 2005. And shortly after my appointment, I was able to study in Rome for three months in the early part of 2006, where the priest that I mentored under allowed me to participate in 40 exorcisms that he performed during my time there. 
And in doing so, I was able to learn firsthand the church's ministry to those who were up against the forces of evil. I don't know. <laughs> I think one of the uh, mistakes people make in the study of religion is to see their present time. Uh, there's always a, a war between the present time and the good old days, you know. Um, when the things that inform theology certainly bubble up from human experience. So the questions, just like in philosophy, the questions are always the same. The answers are usually the same, but the formulations will be entirely different. The truth doesn't change. Um, the, the, the facts um, uh, uh, are not the issue. It's, it's, it's the truth. And truth is, is hard to get your arms around. But these guys, like this guy here, wants to go back in a time machine. It won't speak to the pain of someone, you know, praying over their dying loved one, saying, why did this happen? Well, there's a devil, see? And, uh, you know, uh, not in 2020, 2021. It, it won't work. You know, it's not that simple. Were it that simple? The devil is over there. I am here. God is over there. Um, it won't work for us. Right. And knowing what we know now and what the church knows now, to, to offer this as some sort of solution to someone who's, you know, in some serious problems or some serious suffering, I mean, they could do a lot better. That's why it won't work. It won't touch ground. But you know what's going to happen? I'm, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go to my apartment by myself. And the devil's going to answer the door <laughs> when I walk in and say, oh, yeah, yeah. thanks. Captain Howdy's at the door. Captain <laughs> Howdy. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's go to the next clip. According to church teaching, the devil cannot act on a person's intellect or on a person's will because these are spiritual faculties. There can be no actual union between an evil spirit and a human soul. The soul always remains free, no matter what antics an evil spirit may put a person's body through. It is the part that remains free that can ask for the help of the church. Some people would say, if a person is possessed, how can they ask for help? But again, just because somebody is possessed doesn't mean that they're manifesting evil all the time. The connection with evil can be there but the manifestations may be quiet for some time. And again, a person can ask for help when those manifestations are not taking place. The devil, however, can act on a person's memory and on a person's imagination. These are corporeal faculties. The devil can act on a person's body, on a person's appetites and passions. The goal of the devil is to present morally bad objects to a person's mind at an angle designed to make them appear as a certain good. I don't know where he gets that dichotomy between what's, what's corporeal and, and what's spiritual yeah, I mean, in terms of faculties. I, where's that coming from? And he, and he grounds so much on that distinction, which defies definition. It means what he says it means. You know, uh, I don't know. Well, it gets gets a little weird when when he starts talking about what he's seen during exorcisms. 
So now, now you have witness testimony. This is excruciating. Yeah, Father Carmine, the uh, priest that was training me, we would meet in a very small room, and I was sitting across from this little elderly lady. Her husband was there. I tell people I learned enough Italian to, to order lunch. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this can't be any bad. This is a sweet little lady, and we're just having a conversation. And, and then Father Carmine comes in, and he uh, puts a roll of paper towels on the table, and then he walks back out. He comes back in and ties a plastic grocery bag on the wall radiator. He walks back out. He comes back in with his purple stole on, and he has the rite of exorcism. He takes holy water, blesses this little old lady. As soon as the drops of water hit her head, she starts howling like a dog, and her eyes rolled back in her head, and she begins foaming at the mouth and growling and throwing out all these vulgarities. Mm. And, of course, I'm over there thinking, what has my bishop gotten me into? And Father Carmen didn't even flinch. He just reached over, grabbed a paper towel, wiped the lady's awesome. mouth off, and threw it in the plastic bag and continued praying. At one, to- at one point, this was a pretty dramatic one too, is that the, uh, the person started to levitate. Okay, what? They got agitated so much, the demon was agitated. Mm. And then at one point, the demon got very calm and got this hideous grin on its face. And I looked over, and the person is rising out of the chair. Wow. And I'm looking at this like in disbelief. And then Father Carmine reaches over, puts his hand on the person's head, <laughs> pushes him back down in the chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what can you say uh, to this? Uh, uh, she levitated. I was there. I saw it. Okay. There, there was another interview with Father Lampert, and the person asked him, um, so the other priest that was there, both of you saw her actually levitate out of the chair? And uh, Father Lampert says, no, the other guy didn't notice. He was, he was busy doing the exorcism. He didn't notice, but I saw it. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, I mean, nothing is more more compelling than than fear. You know, it was, it was scare people. You know, if you if you disagree with this, if you challenge it, then oh my God, you know, you have reason to be uh, frightened. Um, so you're kind of whipped into shape by being afraid, which is the way. That's the church I grew up in. You scare the crap out of people. But it's incredibly non-scriptural. Yeah, one of the things I also saw was uh, a mention that you know, traditional religions are, are kind of losing popularity, losing ground. And yeah, very much. With that, people are turning towards the more fringe elements uh, and more of the New Age kind of pseudo-religion, pseudo-science kind of things. And, and this would really fall right in line with that. Yeah, uh, and what's happened is, and it's really not the, uh, I can't say the fault of um, traditional um, religions because they speak their truths in the human language of myth and story. And I say truth. Um, It's just not, there's no no factual basis, no facticity, but truth and fact are, are not the same, um, and and there's no time. The world is changing so quickly. There's no time to unpack the myths and reformulate them in another way for a time. So you just left there um, speaking hocus pocus, so, and it doesn't touch ground. It doesn't 
it doesn't touch people's lives, so they walk away. And people will go toward, uh, right, you know, fringe elements and fundamentalism and evangelicalism. But it's not really the fault of the church. You know, life is, uh, has changed so fast that there's no time. Uh, so now, um, uh, Christian uh, truths about um, uh, the Eucharist and the cross and all that are never really translated in, in, in a language that we speak you know, today. I did think it's interesting that he talks about uh, the devil using, manifesting fear as a tool of power. And it raises the question of who's raising fear to wield power? I mean, it's just interesting. I mean, I mean, examples just abound, but we're focusing on um, women who, old women who are um, speaking in tongues and levitating and a lot of whiz bang. And yet, uh, Bashir al Assad, you know, fucking killing, killing, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people. That's not talked about in demonic terms. Why isn't that uh, an indication of someone being possessed? And why don't they go and knock on his door? Or why didn't they? Um, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, I think they, they've set the field of seizure disorders back. Uh, about 1500 years yeah I mean where, where is if there is such a thing as evil which is simply a way to speak about something we all know exists it's a it's a, it's a label it's fraught with baggage of course but we you know this is a this is a quote fallen world you know I mean, why do they turn to these virtually inconsequential um, incidents of someone being possessed by a demon. Why not um, go pay a visit to uh, ISIS X, you know, or the Taliban, or help those poor people trying to get the hell out of there? Mike and I have been, you know, talking about events in Afghanistan, and and what's interesting is Mike sent me a chronology because we were talking about you know, who's been who who was controlling Afghanistan in the fifties and sixties when. You know, women were going to college. They didn't have to wear burqas and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a Soviet satellite state. So it was a communist state. But mm-hmm. women had all these rights. And it yeah. was fairly Western. And so we were talking about the idea of, you know, ISIS, these people from the 12th century, you know, trying to turn the clock back. Um, it, it's, a, it's a recoil mm-hmm. to liberal Westernization. Right. And so what's interesting is the fact that no one society is immune to that. Um, and I think it lends uh, an interesting perspective to, you know, Mike's perspective about, you know, movements within the Catholic Church liberalizing it in the 60s and this being a backlash, a conservative backlash against mm-hmm. it. No society is immune. The, um, and the, the liberal, which is really what it was, it was it's, just, it's political. It's just it has, you know, theological legs, but it's, it, it, it was to take away f- canned formulations, fixed answers, so that you couldn't, the concept of sin wasn't codified uh, into venial, mortal, um, is this a sin, yes or no, you know, all that was taken away, um, leaving people very unclear as to what right and wrong 
are and and that's what they reacted to and that's what we have now which is now there's we're back to personifying evil and personifying good but it it just it just is ridiculous on on so many levels this is what your concept of evil is that's your concept of demonic possession i, I don't care about that i don't care about about uh, uh, if that's what evil is um uh, making you know old ladies uh, shout vulgarities and making all the blue-haired ladies in that guy's audience go ooh you know i got stories to tell uh, that guy that would uh, that would curl his hair about how awful it is uh, out here in in the world um what wars have done what racism has done in this country i should think they'd go there why don't you go exorcise them yeah a personified evil being mm-hmm. takes away a lot of responsibility like you don't have to do anything because how Absolutely. can you fight you can't fight this guy and, and all the evil's his fault but what you can do is you can say these prayers walk around in a circle genuflect kneel bow pray um go to sleep uh, with rosary beads in your hand and you're safe where none of us are safe well i hope you've had fun this has been one of our most exciting yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry you started out with all this god god i was in a good mood when i got here we will never lose sight of the need to touch the transcendent the need for religion the need for faith um that'll never go away it's just foundational to us as eating and drinking well i I hope you've had fun mike uh, yeah, but see, now I got to go home. And um, I might stop at a church on, on my way home. <laughs> An all night um, drive through church. And uh, But what happens if I wake up tonight and I'm speaking in tongues? Which one of you guys do I call? Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I think I defer to Mark on that one. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. At least we'll always have dad jokes. We're supposed to be hysterical. This isn't funny. You put me in a bad mood. All right, Karis, your car keys are in here. <laughs> Can you help an old altar boy father?